Welcome to Pop Culture Rx, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's award-winning podcast. Pop Culture Rx is where we sit down with a medical expert and talk through various health-related topics circulating in today's media. In our discussions, you'll hear from a variety of professionals sharing insight and advice on these newsworthy conditions. This is Pop Culture Rx. Around one-third of adults in the United States take a daytime nap, with many indicating that naps relax and recharge them. However, a new study recently published to the American Heart Association Journal finds that people who often nap have a greater chance of developing high blood pressure and having a stroke. Today I'm here with Hackensack Meridian Jersey Shore University Medical Center's Chief of Cardiology, Brett Seelove, to talk to us about how an afternoon nap habit might be hurting your heart health. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Seelove. Thanks for being here. Before we start getting into this, I want to get to know you a little bit. Can you tell us what brought you into cardiology? What made you a doctor? Uh, I kind of knew for a long time that I wanted to do something in medicine. Um, I was into the concept of trying to make a change in people's lives uh, early on. So it was a sort of an easy draw for me. And over the years, it's been more and more rewarding over uh, even over the last decade or two. Awesome. So let's talk about this study. Help me understand how naps and heart health connect. Yeah, I will tell you that after this study came out, I had hundreds of emails and phone calls from friends and family uh, because so many people out there take a nap. And napping is really an evolutionary process across almost every species. So it doesn't mean that napping is always bad. Um, there is a, obviously it's very highly prevalent in the Mediterranean culture. Um, and in the modern society in the United States, it's really actually encouraged in the sleep deprived world. For example, physicians, pilots, evening shift workers, because there's endless amounts of data that it improves alertness. And those naps are typically relatively short. And the question is, is what happens to the long-term effects on your health for doing this? Right. So it doesn't mean to slap your, uh, you know, your spouse across the head, you know, if they're taking a nap on the couch pre-dinner, although you're welcome to do that, I imagine, if that's, you know, your, your <laughs> druthers. But um, it does mean that we should take a hard look at how often people nap. And the real question is, is why are they napping? So if you have to ask yourself, why is it that I feel the need to nap? That's really the crux of the discussion because there's probably things underlining the need to nap that needs to get your attention about your health. Absolutely. So what exactly did this study end up finding? Yeah, so this was a study um, about just over 360,000 patients looking back at this very large UK uh, biobank and essentially looking retrospectively at people who reported that they never or rarely nap, they sometimes nap, or they usually nap. And it was about 11-year evaluation, again, with limits. It was people self-reporting. But it basically said that if you never nap versus people that nap under 30 minutes, there's an 11% chance of higher risk of developing cardiovascular disease. And if you napped over 30 minutes, that risk increases by 23%. So... The study also showed that if you sleep less than seven hours and nap more than 30 minutes, those two things together are the highest risk for cardiovascular disease increase, about 47% higher than those reporting sort of the optimal amount of sleep and no napping. 
So just be careful though. That doesn't mean that if you nap, you will get heart disease. It doesn't always mean that it's a terrible thing. It just, we should take a close look at again, why you're not sleeping well and why you need to nap because poor sleep hygiene will increase the risk of other bad habits. And that's typically why we think there's this association. And actually, so sleep was recently added to the Heart Association's cardiovascular health checklist. Is that one of the reasons why? Because it leads to other bad habits? Yeah, so sleep is related to essentially every single one of the other seven elements from weight, to physical activity, smoking, blood pressure, sugar metabolism. If you're not sleeping well, you're probably not doing a lot of those other elements very well. So sleep is really the background of, of a healthy lifestyle, more than we probably ever realized. And Absolutely. I will also tell you that the tool for those eight elements of the American Heart Association actually is applicable starting at the age of two. Wow. And my kids would probably not be happy with this, but you know, it does talk about sleep hygiene in the youth because these, these behaviors are really about a lifetime commitment. Of interest, just talking about children, which is not my area of, of expertise, but the, the, the length of time sleeping increases the younger you are. So the optimal time is roughly seven to nine hours of sleep for the adults. So it, it is longer for the, for the younger population. So don't get scared out there for the adolescent group. Yeah. So that's probably why, you know, bedtime is usually at what, seven or eight o'clock. And what kid wants to go to bed when it's still light outside during the summer. You got it. So what else is on that list? You mentioned weight. You mentioned sleep. What else is there? Yeah, so there's blood pressure. There's sugar control. There's smoking cessation, physical activity, those sorts of, of, of behaviors. And, you know, they really are not anything novel. And really eating healthy and staying active sleeping well, stress reduction, and kind of knowing your numbers. These have been things that I've been told when I was a kid. And I think the problem is, is it doesn't have to be the sexiest new thing on the, on the block. It really just has to start with the fundamentals, including sleep hygiene. Talking about cardiovascular disease, where would we start there? So how would we know that we maybe have symptoms of cardiovascular disease? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Unfortunately, the first symptom of cardiovascular disease can be a heart attack, stroke, or worse. So we don't want to wait till you have a symptom. It is all about prevention. You know, I challenge my patients and encourage my patients to be their own advocate, to start early, because you only have one shot at this, right? So if you have one vehicle for your entire life, I imagine you probably wouldn't eat maybe the breakfast, lunch, and dinners maybe on the road as often as you do. You probably wouldn't really get that oil changed regularly, not waiting another 1,000 or 2,000 miles. And really, your heart health is no different. You have one chance at this. So you really want to maximize your chances at a pretty early age and trying to do things as best you can. And there is, I would argue, up to 70 80% of heart disease is preventable as long as it, you try to maximize every piece of that prevention. So let's talk about risks first, and then we'll talk about how we can actually prevent heart disease. Sure. So what are some of the risks? The risks are inactivity, obesity, high blood pressure, sugar metabolism problems, cholesterol, smoking. Those are the big ones. And even alcohol. You know, alcohol has become a hot topic, and especially with the pandemic where alcohol has clearly been on the increase, 
you know, and moderate alcohol, you know, intake is, is probably where your limit should be. But all of those things combined are typically the, the lowest hanging fruit when it comes to risk. What about genetics? Yeah, genetics are a complicated answer um, to this discussion because cardiogenetics are really complicated. There are hundreds of genes that are involved in this. So unfortunately, I can't test your genes today and tell you that your risks are 30% higher today. I surely hope in both of our lifetimes that's going to be the case, um, that I could test a gene and know that you are destined or not destined for heart disease. So we really don't put everything on genetics yet. It is definitely going to be the future, though. Personalized genomic medicine is definitely the future. It's not here yet in our world, meaning the cardiac world, mm -hmm. a little bit more in the oncological world. Yep. But, you know, having a family history is definitely part of it. I just tell people it's the non-modifiable piece to your puzzle. So if you have a genetic predisposition, which is based on just a history alone, I can't change that. But you could change a bulk of your other risks on your own. And that's what I want to focus on. Absolutely. So, I mean, in prevention, it would be basically not smoking, eating healthy, exercising. And having fun, you know, navigating life as well, which I do encourage. You know, you could break the rules once in a while because life is about living. Absolutely. But I would not do the reverse is once in a while go for a 30 minute walk before dinner and have, uh, you know, a kale salad with a piece of salmon on it. Absolutely. And no cake. A bite of cake would be permissible, <laughs> but not a, you know, a half a cake. All right. So let's switch gears and talk about the opposite of people sleeping. So how might maybe insomnia affect someone's heart? Yeah. So Insomnia is one of the things I was talking about earlier. So why are people napping so much? Right. People are napping so much typically because they're not sleeping well. And they're not sleeping well is a whole slew of problems, one of which are stress, one of which is too much caffeine, one of which is having a medical, you know, diagnosis of true insomnia. So I would, you know, I think the article highlights to focus your efforts on the cause of poor sleep hygiene rather than never telling you you can't nap. Absolutely. And you mentioned something that I did want to talk about, which is caffeine. And a lot of people drink energy drinks t in today's world. What do these energy drinks do to our heart, our bodies? Are they good for us? Yeah. A lot of these energy drinks have caffeine in them. And a ton. A ton. And caffeine is a drug. I am hooked on the drug for a long time. But in excess, I try not to do it because it's a drug and it has an effect on your body. So no different than any other drug. Um, if you do things in excess, it's typically not good for you from alcohol to, you know, tobacco, although all tobacco is not a good idea, but you understand the, the analogy. So, you know, some of these energy drinks are a little cleaner than others, you know, with low sugar, no caffeine, you know, electrolytes and whatnot, but that's typically not the energy drink that I believe you're referring to. Did not have any sugar, which was awesome. Um, it did not have any bubbles because I'm not a bubbly soda kind of person. Um, and it was supposed to be this healthy drink that you drink before going to a workout and do all that kinds of fun stuff. But it did keep me up forever after. Well, I'm glad you're awake this morning, but it will, <laughs> it will definitely have an impact on you, especially if your system is not primed for it. Um, you know, listen, there's nothing that supersedes water. I mean, you can prehydrate with electrolytes and, you know, it, but there's nothing that will, will, will be better than essentially just water and doing the things that have worked for decades. 
And at one point I was feeling like my heart was going to be out of my chest, maybe around three in the morning. I was like, oh, should I go to the hospital? Like what would be the pre-notion to go to the hospital? Like you need help. Yeah. It sounds like you, you know, you had a little bit of a stimulant, what you weren't used to it, you know, in the evening. And that's probably what happened, but you know, it can definitely increase, you know, arrhythmias. It could even increase the risk of heart attack. Um, or even sudden collapse if you have a ton of extra stimulus with underlying heart disease. Someone who's young and healthy and have some extra beats, there's no real telling when someone should go to the hospital. That threshold is different every for every person. But if you're really not feeling well and unwell and concerned, that's usually my threshold to tell you you should go to the hospital. I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad you're here talking about it. But <laughs> we've all learned our lessons, you know? Oh, yeah. No, we are definitely not drinking any more energy <laughs> drinks ever again, um, especially past noon day um, if not i will be up for the next 24 hours maybe if i needed to be up for two days maybe that's when i would drink another then you will be very sleep deprived and be taking a lot of naps yes yes i actually slept so i slept the day after and then the next day i slept for like 15 hours i think some obnoxious amount of time um pretty much because i just didn't sleep for however long it was with the energy drink Is there a better way for us to get a boost during the day rather than an energy drink? So would napping be okay in that situation? Yeah, I mean, the reality is is I think everything is in moderation and and napping, as I mentioned earlier, is encouraged in a lot of other societies based on the data. You know, based on, you know, three, four o'clock in the afternoon, you take a five to 10 minute nap and you typically are more alert and are more productive. So if you're not operating a machine, which would be a bad time to take a nap. Um, or if you know, you're know you in a meeting or whatever you're doing in life, if your work allows it and you need it and you're more productive, I don't think anybody's saying that you shouldn't take a nap once in a blue moon. But I would look you know, deep about why you need that nap. Are you mentally exhausted? Are you overstressed? Are you not sleeping well? The other thing for sure that will help is exercise. There's irrefutable data that exercise probably will decrease your overall heart risk and things are associated with heart risk by about up to 50%. But also it really gives you that, that boost, not just of mental euphoria, but that physical energy that will typically reach you reach until hopefully the end of your day, five, six o'clock. So, you know, it doesn't mean you get again, a a slap on the wrist if you do take a nap or need to close your eyes. But again, I think it's also a, a an answer should be, why do I need to do this? And there's typically something underlying that that needs to be addressed. I'm glad you brought up exercising because at the gym this morning, I was talking to a friend saying how I was talking to you today. And she was like, oh, good. I have a question for him. So we both work out at Orange Theory Fitness. That's nothing new for our listeners. They all know I love Orange Theory. And she mentioned that while she's working out and getting her heart rate up into those higher level zones, she feels like she needs to vomit or get super nauseous. And she was wondering why that was and what she can do to help stop that from happening. Well, that's a challenging question. Um, A, because it's obviously very personal. And each, each, you know, discussion with the patient is obviously a very personal one and a very individualized one. Uh, you know, out of the gate, I would tell you that whatever she's doing, it sounds like it's too much. Her body is basically telling her to put the brakes or halt 
on whatever she is doing. So her body, she should definitely be listening to her body. If she's exercising to the point where she needs to throw up, um, something is amok, whether or not it's too much exercise or there's something else going on. Awesome. So anybody else out there that feels that way? I know that you've always seen it in TV shows, I guess, and different shows that you watch where, you know, the coach works them out so hard and they're all like vomiting off the field and things like that. So it's just really your body saying no more. You bet. What are some ways we can keep our hearts healthy? So we've answered this question, I feel like, a ton throughout our conversation. So exercising and not smoking and eating healthy and and really paying attention to to what our body thinks is kind of what I've gotten from our convo. Yeah. I also think you should really know your numbers. I think you should know your blood pressure. I think you should know your cholesterol. And I think you know should know your sugars. You know, those are also big, big parts of it. I also think, you know, mental health is equally as important as physical health. Absolutely. And I would kind of take a deep dive into your own, you know, mental state um, forever, but also just at a point in your life, especially, you know, with the pandemic and whatnot, and realize that that is also a piece of your puzzle. And that piece should be as optimized as your physical health, because without your mental health being in tune and in, in, in I would say, in stride, you're going to have some struggles with the physical part of it. Anything else you want our listeners to know? Anything I missed? I would just encourage all of your listeners, regardless of how old one is, to seek medical attention about how to prevent something that is quite, not perfectly, but quite preventable. And there's no time to start this process. You could be in your teenage years. You could talk about your pediatrician about, hey, how am I doing? And you could be 92 to try to prevent something. So you could be 122. So for me, it's about preventing something that is either hasn't happened yet or preventing something that can again happen if you've very experienced it already. Well put. Thanks so much for being here, Dr. Seelove. I very much appreciate the opportunity. If you have a topic you'd like for us to cover, submit your ideas on hmh4u.org backslash podcast. Your suggestion could be included in the You Asked For It special episodes. The material provided through this Help You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.